going to be looking this evening at verses 38 to 42. That's page 970 in the Church Bibles and page 1506 if you are using the large print Bibles. Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 42. <clears throat> Human beings have an inbuilt sense of justice. One of the first phrases that we learn as children is the phrase, it's not fair. It's easy to sniff out something that is not fair, especially, I think, when we have siblings. When I was growing up, I remember we went to a childminder, and the childminder had two boys. And one day, the, old, the mother was giving out pocket money to the two boys. And she gave one boy a pound coin. And she gave the younger boy five, tw- uh, the, older, the younger boy a pound coin and the older boy, sorry, five twenty pence pieces. Well, the younger boy with the pound coin turned to his mum and said, that's not fair. It's not fair. He's got more money than I've got. And his mother spent ages trying to explain to this young boy that he had the same amount of money as his older brother. But he couldn't see it because the other one had five 20p pieces. And in fact, the older brother, in his kindness, he's not a normal older brother, I'm an older brother, uh, he gave his younger brother the 20p pieces and had the pound coin. But having that inbuilt sense of justice actually is a good thing. It's one of the ways that we are image bearers of a just God. But the problem we face is that our sense of justice is always uh, damaged and is skewed because we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people. Our sense of justice, or of what is just, even as adults, is often wrong. And as wrong as my friend with the, with the pound coin. And the way that fallen people obtain justice in their eyes is so often through vengeance. Usually through something worse happening to the person or group that has wronged them. We play this game of one-upmanship, don't we? So either we shout louder, we hit harder, we steal something bigger, and so on it goes. And if we don't get vengeance as we see fit, either in our words or in our attitudes, we cry out, it's not fair. Well, this kind of scenario is dealt with in actually the oldest law in the world. The oldest law in the world in Latin is known as lex talionis. And it literally means law of retribution. Lex talionis, which is described as the law of tit for tat, or most commonly known in our uh, culture as an eye for an eye. And the law appears in the earliest known code of laws, the Code of Hammurabi, who reigned in Babylon from 2285 to 2242 BC. This law is an old law. And this law is in the Bible. Three times in the Old Testament law, we read the phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. 
And the purpose of this law is twofold. On the one side, this law ensures that the punishment fits the crime in kind and in degree. So, for example, a person did not suffer capital punishment if their ox grazed in another person's field. The person's field, who, uh, whose grass had been eaten, may feel like killing the person who has allowed his ox to graze there, but this law ensured that he couldn't kill that person and that he couldn't uh, go to court and know that the court was going to kill the person for the ox chewing grass in his field. There was a punishment for that, but it wasn't capital punishment. An eye for an eye, in this case, is a ceiling, not a floor in terms of punishment for a crime. You cannot take more than an eye, but neither do you have to take an eye. Now, we see this today in our own courts. There is a maximum penalty for a crime, a ceiling for a crime. But we don't always see the maximum sentence being given for a crime. That is one of the purposes of lex talionis. It is to provide a ceiling for a crime. And the ceiling fits the crime in kind and in degree. And on the other side, this law prevents private retribution and leaves sentencing in the hands of an impartial judiciary. This is important because our sense of personal justice, because we're fallen, is always warped. When we have been wronged, an eye for an eye doesn't become a ceiling, it becomes a floor, doesn't it? I want at least an eye or at least a tooth. You see? But the court ensures that the retribution is just. That's lex talionis. On the one side, punishment fits the crime. On the other side, punishment is fair and impartial by a judge, not private. And this old law appears here in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is explaining what exceeding righteousness in his kingdom looks like. Remember, this all flows from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were seen externally as the most righteous ones. If you were going to look at what righteousness looks like, you would look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. It surpasses it. And he's been giving us example after example of how that takes place. And we've seen in each of these examples, Jesus digs into our hearts, into the heart. And here, as he interprets lex talionis, he shows that the radical righteousness of the citizens of his kingdom will be far greater than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. As we read these verses, as we've been going through, in fact, the Sermon on the Mount, haven't we found it challenging? Hasn't it been hitting us in the heart where Jesus intends it to hit? As I've been preparing this, my heart has been hit again and again at how the righteousness that Jesus commands is so great that but for the Holy Spirit within us, it is impossible to reach. And tonight's passage is no different. 
One commentator says on these verses, Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. Nowhere is our need of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling than as we see in these verses. So let's read them. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to understand the radical call that Jesus gives, it's important, first of all, that we see the shallow definition of lex talionis that is given by the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Look at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. As we've been going through this, we need to keep reminding ourselves that when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he is not saying, the Old Testament says this, but I'm scrapping it and I'm going to say something else. He's saying, the interpretation that you've been given by the teachers of the law is wrong. And in their view, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth was something to be insisted upon rather than as a restraint on vengeance. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, remember, are interested in the letter of the law. And the letter of the law here, if you read it quite literally, is that if an eye was taken, then an eye must be given. It must be given. And in Roman times, there wasn't a literal adherence to this law. They couldn't literally go and take an eye, but they did allow financial compensation. And so a monetary value was given for everything that was lost. And the Pharisees, we know from elsewhere in the scriptures, loved money. The Pharisees loved money, and so when they suffered any loss at all, they would find the equivalent value so that they were compensated accordingly for their loss. And so the first problem is that they treated this law as a command to be insisted upon. But the second problem was that they took this law out of the law courts and into their personal lives, into the realm of personal revenge. Now in the three times that we see this law mentioned in the Old Testament, it is always in the context of a judge sentencing. So I'm going to show you these verses on the screen behind me so you don't have to turn to them, but I'm going to show you the three places where eye for eye is given and you'll see in these three places that it is in the context of a court. So first of all, Exodus chapter 21. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and The court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Then in Leviticus, 
The son of the Israelite woman used the name blasphemously with a curse. So what did they do in this scenario? They brought him to Moses. And then Moses goes on, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Then in Deuteronomy 19, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Witnesses are people who go to court. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The spirit of this law was to restrain sin. But their focus of the Pharisees and teachers of the law was to get as much as they could in retribution. This, despite the fact that in the Old Testament, vengeance is forbidden. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this was a law of restraint. And we've seen those so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Divorce was a law because of the hardness of people's hearts. Oaths were taken because people couldn't be trusted always to tell the truth. And in the same way, this law was given to hold people back from going more than an eye more than a tooth, more than a foot, and so on. They couldn't take vengeance, but they could get retribution up to the value of an eye for an eye. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law were always asking this question. How far can my personal retaliation go without breaking the law? How much can I get them for without going beyond an eye for an eye? I want to get as much as I can out of this person, but without breaking the law, because I want to be seen as righteous. It was all about my rights, myself, getting as much as I can. It was individualism. And we see this shallow definition of lex talionis in our culture all the time. We see it in our marriages, don't we? I've heard many couples have this kind of tit for tat in their marriages. He spent this much money, so therefore I get to spend this much money. He went out last night, so I can go out tonight. Or if there's a disagreement, one shouts and the other one's got to shout louder. Or one has to pay for what they have done. We see this with our children, don't we? If your brother or sister upsets you, what do you do? Usually, get revenge, right? Either physically hitting them, or hitting them harder than they've hit you, or shouting at them, or getting them into trouble, being a tattletale. How many times do you say, it's not fair, because your sibling gets something special and perhaps you don't? What about when we are criticised? If you're told you've done something wrong, how often do we say to the other person, well, you do this. What about when we're offended in some way? We get revenge by complaining about the person or gossiping behind their back. Have you seen what they've done? You know what they're like. What about at work when someone gets a promotion ahead of you and you feel like you've worked harder? It's not fair, right? Well, we live in a world that has a shallow view of what the spirit of this law is. 
Rather than restraining us, we want to use it as a floor, as the baseline for what we want in return. But Jesus calls us to a radically different way in his kingdom. Jesus shows us the deeper definition of lex talionis. And we find this in verses 39 to 42. Jesus says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Not only are we not to retaliate, we are not even to resist an evil person. The word here for resist means to set oneself against, like you're pushing back against them. It's like when you have a weight that's pressing against you and you want to push back. And in fact, if something is pressing against you, what's your natural reaction? It's to push back, isn't it? To stop the pressure coming towards you. And when we push back against something that's pressuring against us, we push back always either with equal force or often with more force. That's how we, we, we go against pressure. It's the law of physics, isn't it? And that's how we do retaliation too. We feel the retaliation coming towards us or the, 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 the evil coming towards us and our initial response is to push back equal to or harder than what is coming towards us. And this word actually has a legal background. And in this context, Jesus is saying, in the, with this law, we are not to stand on our legal rights by bleeding this law for all that it's worth. But the person that we are not to push back against is an evil person. And actually, the word behind evil here can mean wicked, but it can also mean annoying, hard work, or bad-natured. This is someone who has upset you or wronged you. And most people that upset and wrong us are not people we would really just accuse of being evil. But annoying, yes. Hard work, definitely. Bad-tempered, yes, often. And Jesus goes on to explain how we are to react when an evil person comes our way. But notice that this is a person, not evil itself. Often the verses that we've just read are misapplied by saying that this is a command not to join the armed forces, not to fight against evil, and not to use law enforcement. Jesus is not talking here of pacifism, but rather our individual personal relationships with people. And actually, if we think about it, isn't that much more challenging? I find it much more challenging to not take revenge against people that I know and are close to me than I do to um, resist the police, for example. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to chapter 13, verse 7, which we had in our Bible reading earlier, Paul talks about these two things as separate, uh, separate ways that we live as Christians. On the one hand, we're not to resist evil people. We're to repay good But in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, Paul talks about our obligations to the state. You see, we are to have both. We are duty-bound to inform the police when we see evil. We're not to ignore it in the name of resisting evil. 
but also we're not to take revenge on ourselves. Uh, John Stott had a really funny illustration uh, when I was reading his commentary on this. He said that if you are, for example, if you are burgled in your home, you are duty-bound to apprehend the burglar and to call the police. But while you've got him apprehended, you're to feed him and clothe him as well. So what does it look like to resist an evil person? Well, Jesus gives us four illustrations from his day. And the first illustration is if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, most people in Jesus' day are right-handed. Left-handed people were seen as strange. And because of this, the illustration is using, using a slap. It is assumed the right hand is used. Now, I'm going to use this Roman soldier as an illustration. I'm not going to really slap him because I'm worried that he'll fall over. But if I go up to the soldier and you see him on the right side, and I'm going to slap him with my right hand, it is like this. You see, with the back of the hand. That's what Jesus is meaning, that kind of a slap, with the back of the hand. And a slap with the back of the hand to the right cheek. You see, I can't do this. It's like this. With the right hand to the right cheek, it is an immense insult in Jesus' day. In fact, it would be an insult to in our day, wouldn't it, if someone came up to you and did that? But in fact, it was such an incredible insult that you could take someone to court if you felt the insult was not justified. It's a little bit like slander today. Recently, uh, the journalist Katie Hopkins was taken to court because of an insulting tweet on Twitter. That's the 21st century equivalent of a backhanded slap. The point here is not, if you get punched, tell them to do it again. Rather, the point is that when you are insulted, do not retaliate, but allow more insults to come. Don't insult back. Don't take them to court. Continue facing insults without retaliation and control your anger. This is so difficult, isn't it? I think I would find it easier to just tell someone to punch me again. If someone calls me stupid, I want to call them something else, right? And so on it goes. Well, the second illustration is this. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Well, the shirt here was an undergarment and the coat was an overgarment. An overcoat. And the coat was very valuable. And in fact, the coat was more than just a piece of clothing. It was often used as something like a sleeping bag. It would keep people warm. In fact, it was so important that in, that in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 26, we read this in the law. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. Because that is the only covering your neighbour has. What else can they sleep in? You see, this overcoat was so important that there was a law in the Old Testament that if you borrowed it, you had to give it back by nightfall. And you weren't allowed to sue for an overcoat. You could only get the undergarment. So Jesus, therefore, is saying this. If you are taken to court and an evil person is prosecuting you for your shirt, which they are entitled to, Give them the overcoat as well, which they're not entitled to. You're not legally bound to give it to them, but do so anyway. And the point? Don't stand on your legal rights, but be generous and show outrageous grace. 
that shows the love of Christ. Again, this is a challenge for us, isn't it? Although this is specifically talking about taking someone to court, we can apply having the spirit of generosity in other ways. I used to eat out a lot when I was uh, working in my secular work in IT. Often I would have to take out people I worked with, people I met on business, and we'd go out often in big groups uh, for dinner. Sometimes just for, just for fun we would do that, and at the end of the uh, evening we would get the bill. And I would often only have uh, a main course, uh, not a dessert and a, a starter and, and not a lot to drink, but oftentimes people would say, let's split the bill. Let's split the bill between us all and divide it. And I could be sitting there and thinking, well, I've only had a main course and a glass of water. Why am I splitting this bill? I have the right to stand up and say, no, I don't want to split this bill with you. I've only had this. But in the spirit of generosity with these non-Christians, isn't it more generous for me to say, okay, let's do this. Bite the bullet. Pay the bill. That's kind of what Jesus is uh, saying here. We are to be generous people as God's people. And I think as a general rule, when we're in doubt about our obligations, just be generous. Well, the third example is the second mile. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And here is where Martin, the soldier, can come in again, because in this law, the background was a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier had the right to commandeer a person to carry their baggage for them as they were going off to wherever they were going on the Roman road. And if you were working in your uh, shop or you were doing whatever it was around your house and you've got a deadline to meet or if you take time off, they're not going to pay you, it doesn't matter. If the Roman soldier comes and Martin wants you to carry his shield for him, you've got to go with him. But you only have to go a mile. That was the law. You had to go one mile. Imagine how irritating that must have been for an occupied people like the people of Israel were. For the occupying Roman soldier to come and you had to drop everything and carry his baggage for a whole mile. Well, Jesus says when, when, when Martin comes up to you and forces you to walk with him one mile, go another mile in addition to the one that you are obliged to take. The point? Don't always think of your liberty to do the bare minimum in a task that you don't want to do. You see, you only, are, you only have to go one mile. And after one mile, you're free. You are at liberty to go back. And when we're forced to serve, which sometimes we are, perhaps at work you have to do a task, perhaps at home you're forced to do a chore that you don't like to do, or even in church you feel obliged to do something, The way of retaliating, isn't it, is to do the job as badly as we can or do as little as we can. I'll do the job, but I'll just do as little as I can. An eye for an eye there is a flaw, isn't it? So um, you've got to empty the the dishwasher, say, and they're all wet. But all you've been asked to do is to empty the dishwasher. So you put the dishes away and they're still wet, for example. That's not what Jesus is saying we ought to be. We're to do our best. But the Roman soldier was part of the government. And how often do we react in the bad way when our government is asking us to do something for them? So when we pay taxes, when we do DBS checks for our youth work, 
when we keep to the rules of the road? Are we doing so grumbling and complaining? Or are we doing so with the spirit that Jesus calls us to have here? That's not saying, by the way, that if you pay your taxes, you have to go and pay more than you're supposed to pay. But it is to say that we shouldn't be complaining and moaning about doing so when our government calls us to task. But what about when we're given a job that we really don't like? There's chores at home, yes, but also there's caring for our sick spouses or sick relatives. It can get old. It can get frustrating. It's an obligation and we can feel like it's not fair that I have to do it. The Christian ought to do these things to the best of their ability and going above and beyond for love for our neighbour and for our saviour. The point Serve others in the best way you can possibly do, even if it's not fair. Imagine the testimony that this Christian has to the Roman soldier as they're walking on the road and they turn to him and say, you know, I'll I'll go another mile with you as well. I'll carry this baggage another mile. And the soldier's going to ask, well, why why are you doing that? Because my saviour went an extra mile for me. You see? It's a testimony, isn't it, to go that little bit more. Well, the final illustration is an everyday one. Look at verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Unlike the other illustrations, there is no legal obligation here. Nobody legally has to give anything to someone that asks of them. But Jesus says here that we are to be generous and to sacrifice on behalf of others in need. But remember this. Giving to the one who asks isn't always giving what they ask for. Sometimes love requires us to say no. If what they ask is not in their best interest to have, love requires us to say no. Giving to the one who asks isn't always giving what they ask for. But when someone does ask, we are to give even if it's at cost to ourselves. Now that's not always what we what they ask for. Sometimes we are to say no. But oftentimes our saying no can be a false way of uh, we, we can falsely say I'm loving them by saying no when really we, our heart is in the wrong place. Uh, DA Carson says that Christ will not tolerate a mercenary tight-fisted penny-pinching attitude which is the financial counterpart to a legalistic understanding of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When we give to somebody, we shouldn't be asking, what is in it for me? This is about self-denial. Remember the context, though. This is giving to the evil person. This isn't giving to our children who we love and our friends who we want to show generosity to. This is giving to the evil person, the frustrating person, the hard work person, the person who has wronged you. Now this verse is often used in application to the homeless. And I think that is a good application. Whilst wisdom is needed to be shown in this area, the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, how often is our not giving, not to do with wanting to help them by not giving, by saying no and loving them by saying no, but more to do with not wanting to. That's the challenge, isn't it? When someone asks from us, the question is, 
is it right to? Should I be doing this? Yes, is it wise? But how often is our question, our real, real response, I don't want to? That's a challenge for us. So the purpose of Lex Talionis is to restrain evil. And so the real fulfillment of this law is to not take revenge at all, isn't it? The complete restraint. If this law is, the purpose of it is to hold us back from evil, from retaliation to evil, sorry, then the fulfillment of that law to the uttermost is to not take revenge at all. Now we have to be careful with this passage that we don't take these four illustrations from Jesus' day and make them laws in our day. There is not going to be a Roman soldier that is going to come to you and tell you to carry his baggage. Okay? These are illustrations from Jesus' day. Jesus is talking about the heart. And we can do externally all of these things and not have our heart changed. You know, we can externally turn the other cheek. We can externally say the right things. But it's the heart that Jesus is talking about. And it's only a changed heart that enables us to live out these principles. The principle here is an attitude towards evildoers which is prompted by mercy and not justice. It's an attitude that renounces retaliation and one-upmanship at cost to ourselves. It's a principle that ultimately seeks the needs of others and forgets ourselves altogether. Well, we've seen in these four illustrations what resisting the evil person looks like. But isn't it most clearly seen in our Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus turned the other cheek. He did not retaliate when he was mocked and beaten, but he kept on having insults piled upon him, didn't he? In fact, Isaiah chapter 50 prophesies of him when it says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. That's Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Jesus turned the other cheek. Jesus handed over his coat as well. He did not stand on his legal rights. He was guilty of no sin. And yet he paid the penalty for our sins. Legally, he did not have to be there. But he freely gave his life for us. Jesus goes the extra mile, doesn't he? He left heaven and gave up his liberty to become obedient to the point of death on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus gives to the one who asks of him. He freely gives his life, so, and he freely gives eternal life to all those who seek him and ask him for forgiveness of sins. He gives to the one who asks of him. And one thing you never hear Jesus saying in the scriptures, and you hear him say lots of things, But what do you never hear him saying? It's not fair. Because do you know what is fair? For us, hell is fair, isn't it? Hell is fair. What's fair for us is that we are condemned to an eternity outside of God's presence in hell. That's what sin deserves. We are that bad before a holy God. But praise God, 
It's not fair. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's not fair. Because Jesus died in my place, and he is perfect. He does deserve heaven. He's the holy and perfect son of God, and he died in my place for my sin. That's not fair, but it is grace, isn't it? It is grace. And we have a home in heaven forever, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done on my behalf for me. Because he turned the other cheek. Because he went the extra mile. Because he gave his cloak and he gives to all that ask of him. Hallelujah, it's not fair, it's grace. Grace for all of us who call upon him. And so the next time you're tempted to cry out in frustration, it's not fair. Look to Jesus and praise God that I'm in heaven. And that's grace. And then may we, in return, show the same grace to those who are evil towards us. Because however evil someone is towards me, it doesn't compare to how evil I've been towards my Father in heaven, who sent his only Son to die for me. May we be ones who repay evil with good for the glory of Jesus and in imitation of him. Well, we're going to close with song. We're going to sing of the amazing love and grace that our God has for sinful people like us. We're going to first of all sing, here is love, vast as the ocean. That's the the love God has for us. And then we're going to sing of how amazing it is that God has prepared a place in heaven for me. So let's stand and let's sing 